Do you like data centers? Cause I love data centers! I love data centers. I love data centers. We love data centers! Welcome and thank you for listening. This is your host, Sean Patrick Terrio, founder, CEO, and catalyst of Open Spectrum. What you can expect to find here on this podcast are fresh new conversations with some of the most successful, experienced, and fascinating players that I have met while working in the data center marketplace over the past decade. For those who already know me, this probably goes without saying, but I can assure you new listeners that there will be no marketing fluffery or sales BS here. In fact, this is specifically a no marketing fluffery and sales BS zone, at least for the next hour or so. My objective is pure. It's to simply share some raw, honest advice and entertaining stories that will hopefully teach you something new, maybe something thought-provoking and maybe even enjoyable about the industry that drives the brave new digital world that we live in today. We have an interview coming up here with Pete Sclafani, who is hands down uh, one of the smartest technology professionals I have ever met. He is the current COO and co-founder of Six Connect, uh, which he will get into towards the end of the interview. But Pete literally speaks up and down the entire IT stack Um, He has a master's degree in security. He taught me literally how a computer works from the ground up. He taught me everything that I really originally learned about the data center industry and computers and virtualization uh, all came from spending numerous hours in carpools with Pete going to and from the South Bay up to San Francisco. I love Pete because he is what I call a life decathlete, uh, just a well-rounded human being, uh, father, husband, and just good, good person, uh, and also just wicked, wicked smart. We get into some pretty interesting conversations about sales in technology, IT sales, and we get into some fun conversations just about how he got started in IT going through the Silicon Valley boom and bust when he got out of college. Uh, so there's some fun, fun, interesting stories in there about the relationship that we have and how we grew together, but really how he grew up in the data center industry and data center marketplace and got to where he's at today. So without further ado, here is the interview with Pete Sclafani. Pete Sclafani, my friend, how are you? I'm good, Sean. How are you today? I'm doing very well, man. I uh, I love you, and I'm so grateful that you have taken time to chat with me today on one of the uh, the first podcasts that we have for I Love Data Centers. I'm excited, not just because I love data centers, because I love you too, man. Thank you, buddy. So I'm curious, where where are you physically right now? I'm working out of my home office in San Jose, California. What does your home office consist of? It currently consists of a spot in the garage with a desk and an external monitor. And of course, you know, a server and a uh, network attached storage unit for various lab stuff that I use it for. So it's like a, a man cave office in the garage. Pretty much. Do you still have your Aston Martin in your garage or is that still still sitting in the shop? I do not have an Aston Martin in the garage. If I did, that would be awesome. Uh, I have a Jensen Healy that is in the shop. Um, but if I get back an Aston Martin, I'm all, I'm all for it, man. <laughs> 
I knew it was one of those. <laughs> one of those nice hey, the fact that they're confused, I'll take it. That's good. <laughs> um, so, Pete, for those who uh, who don't know much about you, I'd love for you just to tell me, tell me and the the listeners right now who you are and and what you do. Yeah. So, uh, quick background. Um, I currently am COO and uh, one of the co-founders of Six Connect. We're a, a you know network automation software company. Um, do a lot of work on the infrastructure side, um, like DNS, IPv6, you know, all the all the fun plumbing stuff to the internet that doesn't get uh, a lot of publicity these days, or really any day. So yeah, my my, my role as COO is is kind of you know day to day operations, help with engineering, interact with customers. So I kind of have a good mix of uh, product exposure, but also talking directly to customers and you know seeing what works, what doesn't, and and working directly with engineering as well. So it's a lot of fun, a lot of variety in, in my typical day, which is kind of nice. And I've, I've got to chime in here and, and tell those who are listening that, Pete, you are truly one of the most intelligent, rounded IT professionals I have ever met in my life. Not only do you speak uh, and communicate very clearly, but you are, you could explain to someone what you've done for me multiple times, how a computer works from the ground up, how the internet works from the ground up, and how a data center works from the ground up. Uh, and also, I, I think, didn't you, you got a degree in security not too many years ago, didn't you? I did. I, I got a master's degree in information assurance um, a couple, uh, in 2007. So yeah, like I, I wanted to bolster that side of, I think, you know, the, the technical side is good. I've, all, I've always been a hardware guy, um, and looking at information assurance allowed me to kind of stretch my legs a little bit more on the software and information side, which was a lot of fun. And you did that through, I think it was New Hampshire University online, right? No, Norwich University. Were you doing that while you were working full-time? Yes. Yes, I was. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was exciting, but it was, uh, it was a great program. It was an online program and you have like, uh, an in-person kind of capstone at the end. Uh, you're, you're on campus for about a week and a half or so. And it was great. It worked out great. Uh, it was a lot of fun to meet your classmates in person since you interact so much digitally. It was, it was very, very weird, but, uh, cause you kind of get, you kind of have certain notions based on how people communicate, but, uh, meeting them in person was a total riot and we just, we had a lot of fun. It was, it was, it was a great time. So did you end up doing, I think I remember you telling me a story about the final exam that you took for that. That was all on site, wasn't it? It was. It was. Uh, and we actually had one of the uh, items that we did was uh, I was at United Layer at the time. Um, and I had just finished up some time at a previous startup. So I had I'd actually been doing some auditing. So I was actually taking that, taking advantage of my class to kind of give me some frameworks for, you know, how to do information audits and security audits. And, oh, my gosh, it, it was just really interesting to get to that, you know, total back end. You know, how, how does information security apply to your business? Um, historically, it always been more on the front end, right? Focus on requirements and, you know, building cool apps and things like that. But I was very excited to be more on the back end of like, well, if we have this feature, what does that mean for legal liability? What does that mean for information storage? Like all the stuff that, you know, if you're working on the front end, you really don't know or care about. Um, it kind of opened opened my eyes quite a bit to a lot of those concepts, which was fun. It wasn't one of, I think I remember you telling me a story about how one of the uh, things that you guys did is you had to hack into a system or learn how to hack into a system as part of the final 
it wasn't it wasn't part of the final, but one of the one of the class elements was looking at hacking technologies and how they're used. Um, so it was actually it was more high level than that. It wasn't as as hands on, which is I guess good and bad. Um, but uh, yeah, for the, the class that we did, it was just mainly you're, uh, you're you're you have you're given a scenario and you're trying to map out you know what avenues would a hacker take. Um, so like the you know the Kevin Mitnick approach uh, was actually the most popular, which is you know before you start hacking passwords, um, why don't you try and socially engineer your way into an organization and, and use those kinds of concepts first? Uh, mm-hmm. But also, you know, communication was big on that one, which is kind of cool. So backing up to how you got into technology, I know you and I first met when we were at Santa Clara University back in, I want to say, 99, yeah, yeah. probably. A couple years, couple years ago. Yeah, 1999. <laughs> um, but before that, you, you're where where were you born and raised and in were you born with technology around you um i think my, my dad had always been involved in the periphery of technology he he had you know he was at fairchild for a while um but then when they moved to sacramento which is where i grew up um he he you know moved away from that industry um but we always had a computer in the house and it was uh, either word processing i had a you know a trs80 uh, you know, to do some educational games and some, you know, basic programming and stuff like that. So I definitely always had something there to kind of, you know, uh, give me that avenue, which is I've, I've really grown to appreciate in my older years. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely, it, I just remember my parents, uh, you know, computers were so expensive. Um, they were such an investment, you know, that I, I appreciate the sacrifice more now because I'm like, now you can, you, know, you, you probably have laptops from your, around your house that you probably could, oh, I could probably use this and it would have been the best computer ever back then. Um, but, you know, we kind of take those things for granted, which I think is, you know, it's uh, important to not do that sometimes. Did you have a uh, an Atari or, or something similar as well? You know, I didn't. I didn't have any video games uh, at the house. The only thing I had was... Um, if I found a game, and it was an educational game, of course, uh, you know, then I could do it on the, on the computer, or I had to program my own games. Um, so there was actually a really cool workbook that I had, I had found from some of my dad's stuff on basic programming, and it had a couple games programmed. So I'd program a game, play it, you know, and then I would, <laughs> the minute you turned it off, it would disappear. So I kind of would leave the computer on overnight, um, you know, so I could play it the next day, and then I'd have to, you know, pull the plug at some point, so to do something else wow. with it. Huh. So you had that growing up. How old were you when you were doing that? Oh, man. Um, this is like the mid-80s. So I guess like mid-late 80s. Yeah. I guess we were like probably 11, 10, 12, something like that. And so when you got to Santa Clara in, when was that, 96? Mm-hmm. 95, 96? 96? Let's Nin- just say 96. 96-ish. 95-ish. 95, 96. What was your major? Did you go straight into tech? Uh, I was, I'm actually a chemistry major, um, and a Spanish minor and, uh, it's really interesting. So I, I got into college and figured my goal there was to, uh, learn some stuff and then get out in the real world and actually do some things. Um, so I, I view that I viewed college as a means to an end, um, not as the, you know, the start of a journey, not really the, the end of it, if you will. Um, and my, I think it was, yeah, freshman year. I started seeing that there was a job opening at um, in the IT department. I figured, hey, you know, I'll get a job and see what opportunities there are there. 
and I got my first gig as a help desk support. So I was, you know, people would call and say, I, you know, my email is not working and I would uh, troubleshoot it with them on the phone and then, you know, hand it off to either, you know, it's a, it's a bug or a problem that IT has to fix. And then from there would be, you know, through their ticketing system, someone would either go out and fix it or, you know, they would fix the problem and call a person back with the, re- with the resolution. So how did you know how to resolve those issues? Were you kind of learning on the job or were the people around you supporting you or were you picking up books? Like, wh- where did you learn that? Because you weren't ta- you weren't an OMIS major, so you weren't taking those classes. So here's a random thing. Um, I didn't have email until I got to Santa Clara. Like my parents, we didn't have email growing up. Um, this was before that time. So it was really interesting to be, you know, in the, <laughs> the mid 90s, not doing email, um, but then you know, I, I'm troubleshooting an email system. So we had email on campus. So I, it was a, the VMS Vax. Um, so I got my exposure to that and I was like, all right, I can do this. Um, and of course I had my, you know, my trusty, you know, uh, 46 computer with me that I was using for games predominantly and MP3s. Um, but it was like that, that, that was the exposure I had. Um, but you start seeing the common elements of, you know, here. <laughs> The person's having a problem on the other on the other on the other end of the line. So, is it a real issue? Is it a configuration thing? Um, did they, you know, put in some wrong command? The, the basics to the computers are still the same. So, I I had a little bit of a foundation. I was not an expert, and as I got in there, I I just started learning it and getting better at it and picking it up. Have you rebooted your laptop? Totally. I tried. I, I, it always frustrated me um, to to hear people tell me to do that. So, but I would try and use that as a last resort to make sure that, you know, it, was, it wasn't something else first. So, but yeah, have <laughs> you tried turning it off and on again? It's definitely not. I tried to avoid that if possible, if it wasn't an actual fix. I'm sure you always found a tactful way to get that point across. You've, you've always been a far more patient person than myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you're in college, you're learning IT on the fly doing help desk and working in the IT department at Santa Clara University. You're a chemistry major and you get out of school in the heyday of Silicon Valley in, when was that, 2000? 99, 2000? 99, yeah. And what's what's the first job that you get out of college? Oh man, I got, um, so at this point I'd actually picked up some Novell administration, Novell Netware. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. <laughs> um, so I got familiar with that one. I obviously got Windows experience on, you know, admin and, and other things. Um, you know, I, I love DOS. I grew up with DOS quite a bit, and I, I, I truly enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I love the command line. So I, I, my first job out of school, I was trying to figure out, you know, do I want to stay on campus and, and kind of go the, think of it as a career path, right? The, the typical IT career path. Um, or do, uh, you know, that was an option, or did I want to just do something different? And uh, I figured I was, you know, at that time in my life where I could take a chance. So um, I took a sales job um, at a company called Tech Planet, and they uh, were a startup company, uh, venture-funded. Um, think of them as a geek squad, uh, you know, back in 2000. But, um, yeah, so I, I started there uh, up in, uh, over. they had an office over in Tanner Country Village, uh, over by uh, Stanford, uh, Stanford Mall, Stanford Shopping Center, and um, I started there. So started doing uh, sales, uh, where you would go out to a business and you would say, "Hey, I, you know, do you have DSL? Would you like DSL? Then we can help you get that." Um, and then the way their 
their payment structure worked, you obviously got some salary, but then you got commission based on the deals that you closed. Um, the interesting part of their business model is that there was an engineering, uh, a sales engineer, think of them as that way, or a tech that would be kind of assigned to you. Um, and that tech would also get a commission structure. Um, so as you guys worked on deals together, um, you know, customer gets a DSL installed, the tech installs a DSL, you're the relationship manager, everybody's happy, everybody gets paid. And, you know, customer gets DSL quickly and with a high level of service. So yeah, that was kind of my first gig of like kind of tying together my help desk support with IT. And it was a really, really interesting, uh, really interesting adventure there. Because uh, I didn't think I would be you know, tying them together that quickly, but uh, it worked out well for me. And that was 99 through 2000? Uh, fall of 2000, which is when it completely cratered. Um, so they they raised a bunch of funding and the investment, uh, the investors funding the company really wanted to uh, go for a next round of funding. So their push was more on uh, getting the large footprint, hiring a bunch of people, so when I was when I was brought on board, I think I was like employee number twelve or something. Like I, I was definitely not a co-founder, but I definitely was you know early or one of the earlier hires. Um, but by the time you know in October when of uh, two thousand when they went under, uh, we were over four hundred employees uh, in about fifteen different offices around the around the country. So it, they had just grown so much and just it, it was a painful lesson. Um, but it was also it was an amazing experience, and I met some wonderful people there, um, and you know, still in contact with quite a few of them, including uh, Richard, you know, who you talked to previously. Yeah, Mr. Richard Donaldson. So it's funny how how everyone's paths have crossed, but you know, I I know Richard through you specifically. So thank you, thank you for that. And uh, <laughs> I, I, to be totally blunt and honest, man, I wouldn't be in the industry doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for you. I mean, when we both came into United Layer through your relationship with Richard Donaldson, and I think you, I don't know what the official titles were, but effectively I was, okay, takeover sales and everything that has to do with sales, and you were takeover marketing and anything else you you wanted to touch uh, and play with. Um, That's kind of what got me into this space. And uh, those were those are some fun days, man. Driving with you from San Jose up to San Francisco, numerous mornings at crazy hour, early in the morning, and also back from San Francisco, very late, so we could avoid the traffic. Um, is really where I started to gain the foundation for everything that I know about IT today. So, the data center, and no, I love data centers without you, Pete Scafani. Well, thank you, Sean. But I do want to highlight one other element that you might have forgotten: um, the Wired uh, contest for uh, Saddest Cubicle. Um, yes. That I think we got second place. I think we got robbed, um, but I think it was still pretty good. Um, don't forget to put that link up there on the uh, podcast if you can. Yeah, if, if you still have that link, man, <laughs> share it with me because I definitely want to put that in the show notes. But to, to Pete's point, we definitely we won Saddest Cubicle in Wired magazine online. It was pretty. It's one of those yeah, badges think, of honor that I still wear I around think, today. Yeah, we were in the top three. I think the first place was just ridiculous, but um, I think ours was interesting because we, we actually got to share a cubicle. So it was kind of a two for one. Very intimate setting, but just uh, not only did we drive up into work together, but we also got to sit within like centimeters of each other every single day. 
You know, I guess we didn't have to share a mouse, so it could have been worse. I shouldn't complain. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that is very true. So, Pete, when were you? Did you ever have an opportunity to walk into a data center when you were working for Tech Planet? Or when? Let me rephrase it. When was the first time you walked into a data center? So it's so funny. So at Santa Clara, we actually had a quote unquote. I'm going to call them cold rooms because they didn't really call them data centers as much, right? It wasn't as the preferred term. Um, but yeah, we had a, a data center area in a raised floor, um, you know, in like four four racks of gear. Uh, they had a telco room that was completely separate, had its own thing, <laughs> just a big mess of wires along one wall. Um, you know, it, it was really interesting to see the, you know, my exposure at that time was just, you know, computers just took up a lot of space for what you, for, you know, just heat and, and power and just physical space. Like power supplies were just huge. Um and and seeing that, and then I think after that, I, I really got, you know, some exposure through Richard because he was at United Layer. So, you know, we would obviously talk shop and, you know, he'd show me around and get a feel for what's going on. Um, but I think United Layer was really my first, you know, immersion into the data center world of tying together, you know, the bits and pieces that we work with on the outset, um, but really getting into the, the details of, you know, not just compute, but like what happens, how do you cool these things? How do you How do you do all the logistical pieces that tie them together? Um, I think that's what, you know, United Layer really signified was a shift for me to that mindset of, you know, you understood part of it. Now let's open up the, you know, the picture a little bit more and let's bring more of it into focus. Yeah, those were fun days, man. I mean, I, I will always remember the many, 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 many hours that we spent early in the morning and after work hours with the electricians and the facilities managers and the security staff and the digital realty trust building manager where we would just put them in front of a dry erase or the dry erase board we had in the conference room and just say, Hey, ex- explain us how this works and just let them go nuts. I just, I thought it was a lot of fun too, because like, I just think, I mean, those are, this is, we talk about infrastructure. I mean, those are the people that power the infrastructure that make sure it's up and running and you never get anyone in there that, that actually wants to know about it. Um, typically it's like, do this, not, you know, tell me why it's done this way or tell me how we can make things better. Um, I mean, oh my gosh, even at UL, like one of the funny ones was, uh, I don't know if you remember this, we, we brought in noise canceling headphones and they were just like, this is crazy. You know, like, why did we go for so long without these? I'm like, you know, it was totally like a random thing that we thought would be interesting. And, and the electricians were like, this is awesome. Like this is, you know, it does get loud with all the humming and stuff. And they just, you, know, you get so focused on executing, you kind of forget about some of those little small details. Yeah. So Pete, you're kind of a jack of many, many trades when it comes to life in general, um, but also when it comes to IT. And I think it's very apropos for our audience to hear a little bit about what it is that you're doing, or I guess not what you're doing today, but how how the the evolution of Six Connect, let's just say. And where you guys started and where, because that happened shortly after United Layer. When you left United Layer, I think I went to QTS, Quality Technology Services, and you and uh, Aaron Hughes and Richard and a handful of folks sort of working with yep. SixConnect. But the the impetus of SixConnect and kind of how it's evolved over the years is, is pretty fascinating. Um, could, you, could you tell that story? Yeah, I'll, I can give an overview. I think the, the basics are... Um, and, and, and we're very entrepreneurial in quite a few ways. And I think, Sean, that's where you know, I think you and I have meshed well together because of that, um, is that you see an opportunity, you go after it, 
and then you refine your pitch, right? You you keep tweaking and modifying uh, what you do to kind of get closer to the to the actual problem, and then hopefully solve it in the end. Um, Six Connect, I think, was you know is a great example of that over time. That you know we we started off with a certain idea of a problem of how do we modernize infrastructure, how do we modernize you know IP addressing or, or DNS and these concepts because um, it's plumbing, it's internet plumbing, and it's it's not the next Facebook app, you know. It's not uh, it's not the same crowd. It's not a consumer application that that has the same uh, concepts tied to it. Um, so we started out, you know, really focusing on you know just getting customers and figuring out what problems there are. Um, we doing some consulting. We got some really interesting hits. Um, one of the hits that kind of stuck was us developing software. And when I say us, I mean Aaron. <laughs> so Aaron Hughes was was our lead software developer, and uh, he. You know, we had to put together an IPAM solution that that made sense. Um, so IPAM, IP address management, uh, was an important uh, part of our start. And then as we got into it, we started uncovering, you know, lots of other things that customers said, hey, you know, it'd be great is if, you know, why can't that, you know, tie in with my DNS? Or how does that tie in with my DHCP stuff better and things like that? And so as time as the company evolved uh, and we got more and more paying customers, which is a big help, um, we started refining, you know, that pitch and, and really, you know, uh, you know, tying these kind of different disparate elements together, um, and hopefully making them easier for for customers to use in the end. Uh, so now today we've we've got you know much more robust platform than when we started, uh, which is it's going to be eight years actually uh, this March, uh, which is pretty crazy. Um, but it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun and it's also been great just to, you know, I talked about, you know, interacting with customers and that's gotta be the biggest part of it is it hearing from them what's going on and, and how to, you know, can we do things better in this way and being able to kind of, you know, drive change at that level. Um, that's probably the most exciting part of the job, um, is this tying together the software with actually, you know, helping people and providing solutions. I've, I've always enjoyed that part. Yeah, and that's what I've always found uh, unique and fascinating about what you guys are working on doing is that you have such an intimate, direct tie with your customer base. And it's not, you know, a fleet of sales reps that are um, vaguely familiar with their products and services trying to pound on the door. But it's, you know, it's you, it's Aaron, it's other geeks, you know, and when I say geek, just so my audience does, it's not a derogatory thing. I consider myself a geek. You know, some people say nerd or prefer the word nerd or, or whatever. Just wicked smart IT folks. Let me, how about I just say that? Wicked smart, other wicked smart IT folks uh, talking with other wicked smart IT folks. And it's something that I, I try to teach and train and speak to and my literature and whatnot is just making sure that you're competent with what it is that you're selling not loosely but intimately and I'm, I'm curious you know who are the people that you're selling to and how, how what has the experience been for you guys working with different sales reps who may or may not be able to speak as detailed as, as you can about the products and services oh that's a great question um so uh, as far as who do, who do we sell to i'd say it, it, it's kind of funny our pitch depends on who we're talking to um, if we're talking to a C-level um, or an executive, you know, a VP, um, they're not as concerned with operational concepts. Uh, they're more concerned is with how do I solve my network problems um, for my next generation architecture, right? They're trying to think a couple steps ahead for their business. Um, they're not typically as worried about, you know, ongoing things because 
typically they're currently working. Um, that does change if they're broken. Uh, then then they'll actually have a problem and they'll say, we, we, we need to solve this problem now. Um, that's typically not where they start. Um, the other person we typically sell to is the operator. So these are the people, um, you know, men and women that are engineers and they're typically doing operational tasks. Like uh, when an order comes in that makes our company money, I have to process that order in some way. So I have to, you know, I have to provision X and Y, Z. You have to get this VM up and running. Uh, they have a whole workflow that they do. Um, you know, selling to them is, is different because there you're trying to figure out, look, you know, if I can, you've had this issue where you've made X mistakes or some people have made mistakes on a turn up. And if we were to help you, we could help reduce those mistakes uh, or eliminate them and get them done faster. So hopefully in theory, um, you know, less work for that person, uh, you know, especially like command line interfaces where they're having to type things in and copy and paste, um, you know, automating some of those pieces helps them quite a bit. Um, the other part that's actually fun that we've started selling to is also the, the DevOps crowd. So these are, again, kind of a hybrid approach of operational people, but with, you know, kind of developer and engineering uh, talents as well. Um, and they're just looking at it of like, you know, I want to build my own suite of tools, you know, for the company, right, that we can use for certain things. Um, and they speak API, which is great. So there's someone who you can say, you know, look, the, the GUI is not really the issue. They don't really need workflow training. They have a workflow in mind, and they're trying to figure out, you know, how does your API fit into my concept of of a workflow for my business? Depending on who you talk to, uh, we, those are kind of the three most common kind of archetypes that we come away with. So um, the sales reps, those speaking to, you know, let, let's say you're a sales rep and you're calling calling one of those customers, either of those archetypes. Um, what, what level of intimacy do you need to have with the job at hand? Kind of interesting. So I think if you're an executive, um, if you're talking to an executive, I think you can have a, a more high level conversation and it's not a bad thing, right? Because you don't want to get stuck in the weeds of, of the specific things you solve. Um, that's an operational discussion. If you're talking to the exec, the salesperson, I think can, can be very high level and, and they, don't, they don't lose anything. The whole goal is, I think at that point, have a relationship that, that they feel comfortable with, um, show that you understand the business and what they're trying to do. Uh, and then also, you know, tie it back to, uh, you know, uh, what problems do you see? What problems have you heard from your operational team? I think being a good listener at, at the exec level is, is also really important. Um, when you're selling to DevOps, I think it's actually one of the easiest. It's so great because what you do is um, they don't really want to know what you do. Um, they really want to see your documentation. So as long as your documentation is up to date and you can, like in our case, you know, we have all of our documentation is public, you know, getting a, an instance of our software to use for testing is, is you know, a very low bar for entry. Um, so we try to make it as accessible as possible. And that's really what DevOps cares about that we've seen. Um, and operational, I think this is where you get into the more intimate knowledge requirement where being able to relate to an operational person is really helpful. So, I, and this is, I think, part of, part of my background was, you know, I, I have picked up the phone to talk to a user. Um, you know, I do answer tickets on a daily basis, even in my current role. I still, you know, make sure I find time to, you know, help out in the ticket queue and interact with customers um, and speak to engineering. So I think having that intimate knowledge and not and, and being, you know, being able to kind of share that uh, experience with, with other customers, um, you know, that, that's really important, especially for a sales salesperson interacting with prospects. Uh, being able to relate to somebody at that level, if you're talking to an operator and saying, um, you know, and being able to understand what they're going through, uh, that helps so much. I, I think it's, I think it shines through the the sales process quite a bit. I would mirror everything that you've just said, my friend. And um, 
related related to that line of questioning, I've got another interesting and intriguing question that I don't think I've asked you ever before. But um, in the industry, having spent the time that you have, what is something that you've learned that you did not anticipate or that kind of blew your mind about the world of data centers and networking and systems and, and whatnot? Is there anything that pops to mind? Something that I think gets glossed over um, is I think so much focus uh, on IT is on the technology um, that I think communication is ignored uh, or, or, or put at such a low priority that it never gets any attention. Um, to me, that was probably one of the, the biggest surprises I had of getting in the industry was there's a you know sales process. You're talking to somebody and, and, and getting information from them about you know how you can solve their problem. That that seems to me very straightforward. Um, but I, I think interacting and communicating those ideas um, within an organization, um, IT has functioned um, so much on silos, right? Of, of departmentalization and, and grouping people up in, in certain categories and saying, okay, they're going to work on this, they're going to work on that, and and really dividing them up. And I think communication has been um, I think it's coming back to the forefront, um, but it's something that it's been a long time coming uh, because it, it sometimes that lack of communication uh, can create more problems, um, you know, th- than by keeping people isolated. Uh, one of the funny stories I have is the the whole concept between like, um, you know, before we were really big on you know offices, right? That was really the big office thing of productivity. Um, but then it was like, no, we need to do more collaborative things. So then we have to go to this open space and then figure out how people can collaborate and, and, and interact with each other more openly. Um, but then they ended up having to say, well, then people have no place to actually get work done um, if they need to focus on something. So they have to, you know, then they started adding more conference rooms. Um, so it's like this really interesting evolution of things of kind of revisiting old ideas. Um, but it comes back to communication, right? Finding effective ways for people to communicate, interact. Um, that's something that's blown me away, that so many people in the data center space, um, you know, very, very smart technically, the communication piece is just, you know, it can be really rough and you can have a great idea that just gets lost. So I think that's probably my biggest surprise is, you know, how many awesome ideas I saw that just didn't have a good, a good plan for communication in place. And that's what happens. Yeah, related uh, related to that, I make it as a must read a book that was written by a friend of mine by the name of Stuart Robbins, and I'll, I'll put this in the show notes. And the book is Lessons in Grid Computing: The System as a Mirror. And he's a an IT consultant who has spent many many years working with lots of different companies, and he has been able to develop. It, from that inner interpersonal and communication line of, of thinking, walk into an organization and meet with the different department heads and without even asking questions about their, infra, their, their IT infrastructure and how they've laid it out, he can, by asking interpersonal questions about who, when they meet with other department heads, how they get along with and relate to other department heads, how frequently they meet with other department heads, what the nature of those meetings are, he can bring them together at the end of the day and map out for them how they actually architect their infrastructure. And I think it was like 95% of the time, he was dead spot on accurate. So his ability to integrate both the interpersonal and the IT and just understand that the system is a mirror 
the interpersonal relationships are a mirror of the IT department is fascinating. And that was a lesson that I learned from him. And I continue to take away by asking very specific questions about the politics within an organization and the relationships with other department heads. Some people are uncomfortable answering those questions, but they tell me everything I need to know about how the organization is going to respond to the needs that they're trying to address. I completely agree. It's something that I think in the back of my head, you kind of figured out, you know, it's kind of like you you figured there was something there, but you weren't quite sure how. Um, But yeah, once you start talking to people and you start doing more of the IT side too, you're like, oh man, I can start putting, putting those things together uh, pretty quickly. Um, That is very true. No, I completely agree. Yeah. And that's, that's where also in the training, the sales training that we do and the industry training that we do, we always speak to how important communications are, you know, body language, the words that you're using, how you're phrasing the questions that you're asking, uh, because they can help you qualify opportunities extremely quickly. And the, uh, those skills are things that unless you grew up in a household where everything was kind of honky donkey and everyone got along and there was no screaming and yelling and people really sat down to get to understand why, you know, when your parents sat you down and really sat and started saying, well, why is it that you are freaking out right now? Let's really get to the, to the root of it. You know, I, I didn't grow up with that. I had to reprogram myself to learn how to have, you know, normal communications with human beings without screaming and yelling and being judgmental and coming to conclusions without actually fully getting the full context of the story. So it's, uh, to, you know, I'm, I'm kind of ranting and raving on how you respond to that question, but you kind of hit it dead on. That's been one of the most fascinating things for me as well, is just how, how um, ignored interpersonal relations and communications are within IT organizations, but how absolutely imperative and important it is at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, it's, it highlights that, you know, IT solutions focus on a software or um, we even talked with a prospect uh, two weeks ago. Um, they had, uh, they were looking at IPv6 and wanted to see if, if our software could quote unquote solve, solve it. Um, and right then I knew this isn't a software problem. This is a, this is a, you know, internal thing first, and then software can be brought in to, to help, you know, help things along, but throwing, I, I could sell them software. Sure. But it wouldn't solve the problem. Um, and, and they'd be back where they started. Uh, so it was kind of an interesting, uh, I think you still see that a lot today of, you know, I think it's becoming more commonplace that people are starting to realize it, but, um, I think teaching salespeople to understand that and know what signs to look for, that's huge. Cause if you, hear a, a process if you if you hear a request come from a prospect around workflow um but as you're talking with them you're like no this isn't a software problem yet um <laughs> this is something else uh, i think that's that's a huge uh, it's a huge differentiator because it shows that you're listening and it shows that you're actually understanding you know what they're go- going through so you've you've mentioned twice now or made two comments now about how things are evolving and changing in the industry i'm, I'm curious how how do you see things evolving and changing in the industry and what's it let's let's start with that and um you know if you could i'll make a note here but follow it up with like what do you think's causing that change um man i think 
the industry is changing. I think partly because technology is getting more and more flexible. Uh, and I mean that in a good and a bad way, unfortunately. Be- being flexible is nice because, you know, it gives you a lot more options. Um, but it also means that, you know, you have vendors have to strive harder uh, to keep customers engaged. Um, and, and when I say vendor, it could be, uh, you know, just take Facebook, for example. Um, you know, it could be Facebook and then messaging and then, you know, video streaming. Uh, you you kind of have to start, you know, figuring out what new tricks are going to keep your product or service relevant um, as time goes on. Um, or, or is that or is that feature going to be developed by a competitor and then make your company irrelevant um, and, and obsolete, you know, that quickly, that much more quickly? Uh, you know, th- that's what I think is the, one of the challenges that, that we see happening um, on the industry as a whole. And I don't see it that changing. I see that, you know, uh, I see that still being there. Um, but I do see, uh, you know, some niches where, you know, that kind of behavior isn't as useful. Um, so, you know, we, we joke about, you know, the infrastructure side of, of the coin, you know, on the back end, the plumbing, if you will, internet plumbing. Um, that it's, it's not as, I mean, these are some hard problems to solve. They're very technical. They're, they're very niche. Um, they're not, uh, you know, the expertise that can manage and, and work on those problems is not common. You know, so that's kind of where, you know, we see some of those concepts of the flexibility and agility um, that we see on the kind of the higher level stuff, like more application side. Um, we're starting to see some of that on the on the infrastructure side, um, but that I think that's a good thing uh, for us because uh, I think that you know we've put a lot of effort into our platform, so you know we're not as uh, you know protective in that in that way. Um, but it, it's still a big issue because you know you have these you know you're dealing with infrastructure pieces, right? If your Facebook doesn't update, you know, in ten minutes, it's not great, but you will deal with it. Um, if the DNS goes down for 10 minutes, typically that's a bad thing. Um, you know, so you have to be a little more careful with how you do things when you're talking about infrastructure. Um, but balancing that with agility, I think, is, is how I see the evolution, you know, happening next. Um, and I think that, that evolution is, is, that's what's, I think, feeding the, you know, SDN concepts, the, you know, SDC, uh, you know, software-defined data center as well. Um, software-defined everything, I think, is, is obviously the future, but um, you know, how do we leverage these other technologies and not, uh, you know, not break things is I think going to be the, that's the next lesson that we all have to learn. Um, you know, making things more forgiving, uh, and flexible. What, what's your opinion on those who believe everything is going to eventually sit in a Amazon, Microsoft, or Google data center? I think there's, I think for someone to avoid that it's going to be a challenge, but I think there's going to be people that run their own clouds. Um, I, I think that will be the, the the natural answer to it. Is for people that you know don't want to use Google services for whatever reason or don't want to host it on Amazon. Um, you know, I was going to thinking of like you know Synology, QNAP, um, you know all the various network attached storage vendors. They they all have their own little cloud offerings that are actually really really good. Um, I was just thinking of uh, Synology. They, you know, they have a. This is not a sales pitch, but just saying that you know these vendors have like a you know a cloud product. So you have your own little you know multi, you know RAID environment of storage. It's just a very simple little box. It's got a nice little web GUI, um, but you can connect your laptop to it, your phone. They have apps, um, and you can literally run your own cloud and and you can stream off of it whether you're in the house or whether you're remote. Um, 
you know, it still leverages your own home internet connection um, if you're offsite. But, you know, that I think there are definitely alternatives and I think those are going to become, you know, more commonplace. They're going to be easier to access as well. Um, I, so, I mean, you talk about where I see the future going. I think the future is hybrid. Uh, the future is going to be, you know, I have Google for this. I have my own, you know, I don't want to store my music on Google. I want to store it on my personal home server that I have control over. Um, I can still stream it and I can interface with it in a normal way. Um, I can you know, listen to it when I'm home or when I'm remotely. I can share it with other people. Um, I, I see that as kind of the future of, of people are going to be having to manage these, you know, kind of different uh, hybrid environments where sometimes they'll all be on Google. That's true. There's going to be someone who's all on Apple or someone who's on Amazon using them for streaming services too. Um, and that's okay. Uh, but I think having the, I think we're going to have more choices, uh, more than less, uh, as time goes on, because I think we'll have more independent options as well. The future of our industry is uh, is is an interesting topic, um, and that's one that I quite literally stay up at night thinking about, just because I'm I'm fascinated and interested by our industry. Hence the I Love Data Centers podcast. I'm curious, though, the data center industry has been relatively uh, some would say static over the last 15 years, meaning that there's not very much innovation going on uh, in the world of data centers. Do you would you agree with that statement, or would you disagree with that statement, and why? I would disagree. I would say I think there's innovation happening, um, but it doesn't manifest itself on the if you will on the physical layer, if you will. Um, I, I think there are quite a few innovative things happening on the data center side. I, I, w- I would also agree with, uh, you know, some of the larger data center providers are focusing more on expanding footprint um, than modernizing, if that makes sense. So they're focusing more on, you know, getting more square footage, taking advantage of the market forces to kind of, you know, get that together, um, which means that, you know, they're not creating an open API spec for data centers, right? <laughs> it's just not what... They're, at their core, they're not software companies, so that's not as big of a driver. Um, but I think there is some, definitely some innovation happening. I I think one of the challenges that you have is as a data center company, um, and, and I'm sure you, you ran into this at, at QTS, and we, we kind of had some of these discussions at UL. Um, but you know, how do you enable businesses to make money and to be productive and successful in your data center? Um, and how do you not compete against them? I mean, that's always going to be uh, a continuous, uh, you know, discussion internally of, you know, they're trying to increase revenue, um, you know, the data center companies trying to increase revenue per square foot. Um, and, you know, the, the providers or the service providers or the uh, enterprises that are inside uh, the data center and paying for that space and power and, you know, transit potentially, um, you know, they, have to, they have costs as well and they have to do the same thing. So I think that's always a very fine line to kind of work with. Um, and that's kind of where I see, that's something where I haven't seen a lot of innovation as far as, you know, those old older style pricing models, you know, kind of tenant-based pricing models. Um, I think when you and I were at UL, even the usage, you know, metered power was kind of a newer concept that people were, were getting more comfortable with. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure where that's going to end up, but I, I mean, shoot, 
someone like an Amazon, that that's exactly what they do. You pay for everything, and it means everything. Read, write, <laughs> you know, any, anything you do is, is charged. Um, that's kind of where I see, you know, the data center of the future is going to have to address that more head-on um, than just trying to stick with space and power. But how do you do it and, and, and A, remain competitive and not alienate your customers? That's a tough one. I don't know yeah. about that one. It really is. It's it's somewhat interesting, and I'm going to try not to name names, but there are a handful of service <laughs> providers in our industry today who are dealing with legacy facilities at the end of the day. They're, they've just been around for a very long time, which means that the infrastructure supporting their clients inside the building is also very old. Uh, and as a result, the efficiencies that can be obtained inside those facilities are very limiting. So such that new providers that are building new buildings, leveraging new innovation around cooling, um, around optimization for rack design and layout, um, variety of different factors inside the building, they're simply able to do more for their customers at a far, far less cost point. And so it's uh, the if, if you build it, they will come model that has supported our industry and fed our industry for so long, such that quite literally I've seen way too many service providers open up their doors, uh, have data centers that have no business making money and being on the market and yet still land clients because clients just don't seem to know any better, uh, be successful. I'm not sure that that's, that can continue with so much new, so many new players coming into the industry that can do modular builds. You know, you, you no yeah. longer have to build out, you know, a 10 megawatt pod and fill it over time. You know, yes, you could pre-lease it, but you could also just build it out, you know, 500 kW or a megawatt at a time gradually and only spend the money when you know you absolutely have to and you have a demand for it. So it's... Uh, oh, that's exactly, I mean, that's really the, the concept um I think that mirrors the shift that's happened to, with virtualization. You know, you used to be able to say, you know, I, I, I have to buy the biggest, beefiest server I need now. And now it's like, well, I can I can buy a box, but I can also upgrade the RAM or I can put virtualization on there and then I can get more out of the box, you know, over time. Um, and then you've got technologies like Docker where it's like, you know, only use, this, only use the power and process the CPU cycles for the actual transactions themselves. Um, it doesn't even have to really technically be on all the time. Uh, that that's where I see is the you know that that's exactly where I think d- data centers can learn from what's happened in, in the virtualization space. I think it's very indicative of what's happening and, and going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know again, I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but I can straight up say as as we've talked to well over about 150 different data center owner operators around the world, the owner operators that have senior management teams that have a technology background and it's it's a holistic i mean you need the finance guys you need the real estate guys you need the engineering side of it but you also need just the geeks like you pete and and people like me who just are fascinated by the tech what's going on it's the marriage of all those disciplines that can create a very unique and powerful product set um, and when any one of those elements is missing or any one of them is just far more outspoken than another, like it can't just all be about finance because if it is yeah. to the point that you were making, you're just going to keep jacking your prices and jacking your prices until you reach a point where you're just out of market. Um, 
And it can't be just all engineering because you're going to design a facility that's only going to be optimized for a very specific use case that the engineer is, you know, used to working with. Um, exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's across across the board for, I think, all IT companies these days is you kind of have to have that DevOps mindset where it's not just dev, it's not just operations, it's not just infrastructure, it's the combination and the understanding and the perspective of all of them that uh, that is so critical and important to the brave new digital world that we live in today and, and the success of those companies and the people working oh. within it. Yep, no, you're totally true. And you're right back to communication, right? Um, yeah. If those groups aren't talking to each other, none of it matters. Like you'll, you know, you'll have one trick and that'll be it. Um, you know, the communication helps you survive and thrive, I think. So I'm going to throw a couple of rapid fire questions at you. Um, and you don't, you don't have to have a very quick response. You can take your time answering it, but uh, I'm, I'm curious how you're going to respond to a couple of these, uh, these questions. Um, what is, a common misconception you think people have about the data center industry? Oh my gosh. A common misconception that change is easy. Um, We have so many people just outside, you know, you you get so used to consumer technologies of, I need to add a button there. Um, I need for it to do this. Uh, My Facebook does it here or my phone does it like this. Why can't, you know, this XYZ server or data center do it this way? Um, it's given me new appreciation being in the industry of like why things don't go that way. Um, but it's something that people just are so used to, you know, the tech that they have in their daily lives and wondering why can't this apply in this other, you know, what they think is a parallel industry, um, you know, like data centers. And that, that's one of the ones that's always a fun one to, you know, I, 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 we call it, you know, squishing the sparkle. Um, you say, you know, I, I want to believe that the data center industry is that flexible, but it's not. Here's the realities of it. This API is terrible. You know, <laughs> this one doesn't even have an API. Uh, you know, so we can't do those things um, very easily. So I think that's one of the the biggest things that's missing is just you know, change is hard, and it's it's hard no matter what. Even though it looks easy because you have a nice you know GUI t- that you're typically used to working with, change is very very hard. It takes a lot of work and a lot of people. It's a good one. Uh, I like squishing the sparkle. I think I'm going to start using. <laughs> I'm going to start squishing a lot of sparkle. <laughs> no, I got. I got to give credit. My wife used that. Um, she's like, uh, she used that in the meeting. I think one time, and I heard it, and I was like, oh my gosh, I got to use that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's totally a you know sparkle squisher. Uh, you know, sometimes you got to be the deliverer of bad news, and it's okay. <laughs> but um so another quick one for you is what what's on the backdrop for your computer right now oh my gosh okay so i have two screens um one of them is um a yellow a spa yellow 1994 uh acura nsx like uh, just on the street somewhere and the other one is um a picture of the earth at night um so you can see all the lights and everything i like them uh, Mac or PC? I am a Mac user predominantly, and I still have a Windows VM for uh, you know testing and certain apps that still need them, uh, as well as obviously you know Ubuntu Linux is my current flavor that I've been messing with on another laptop as well. I was just about to ask. I thought I thought you were still playing around with Linux. I am. I am. I, I've been managing to keep. I have an old. Uh, Panasonic laptop, actually, is the same one I had at uh, UL. 
Um, that one has Ubuntu running on it still. Uh, it's surprisingly hardy. It's pretty cool. What uh, what educational content? It could be a book or an article. Have you read recently that you thought was extremely fascinating? Let's see. In terms of oh, there is a uh, interesting book called A World Undone, and I, I know this is kind of not super tech, but it's been a really fun book for me to read. It's called A World Undone. It's a um, uh, it's a right. It's a really great book on the World War One, uh, just you know, the, really the, the what led up to World War One and, and, and you know to 1918. Um, it it was absolutely an amazing book. Um, not only because you know it covered the, the source material very well, um, but the writing in it made it really really easy to come away with things other than facts and figures. Um, so the writer did a great job of really discussing you know what's behind you know, certain strategies that, that France used in their fighting and Russia used in their fighting. And, and you know, um, it was absolutely an amazing read. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and it's really interesting reading it, reading it now. Uh, you know, I finished it, you know, about a month ago. Um, and and with the election and, you know, the, the way that, you know, our geopolitical powers are aligning with other countries, it was actually really interesting because I, I, you could see so many parallels. It was very weird. Um, but I was very glad I read the book. It was very cool. A world so undone. Do, do you know the author? Um, I do not. Of course, uh, I have moved on to another book. So. <laughs> we'll find it. And we'll put it in the show notes. I already forgot it. But yeah, um, I think. Oh, G. G. J. Meyer called G. A World Meyer. Undone: The Story of the Great War. G. J. Story Meyer and Robin Sachs. We'll throw that in the show notes. Uh, and then the last question I have for you is if you were sitting down with someone who's relatively new to the industry, what advice would you give them right now? Ooh, oh man. Um, you know, that's a good one. I, um, I would keep it simple. I would, I would, I would tell that person, uh, don't give up. Uh, there are so many times, I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're getting hit from all sides. You're like, feel this, you got this going on. Um, but having the ability to kind of stop, take a breath, look inside and say, tomorrow's another day. We'll find solutions. We'll figure out a way forward. Um, and not to let it, you know, drag you down and, and let, you know, have you stop, um, that I would remind them that that's going to be the key moving forward is that if they just don't give up, keep moving, uh, sometimes it's going to suck and sometimes it's going to be awesome. And a lot of times in the middle and it's okay, but just to keep going. So Pete, that, that's a good answer, but the best answer would have been go out and buy the data center collocation <laughs> industry playbook and sign up for one of the open spectrum online or, or live training, training sessions, buddy. I'll, for, I'll forgive you for, for, for missing that one. Did, did that get cut out? I think we cut out that cut that out. I, 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 I tried to give you a softball. I thought I said that. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, my friend, I love you. I hope you survive the torrential downpour that hit the Bay Area, um, and I hope that uh, we can do this again sometime, and you can give us some some updates on interesting things going on at Six Connect and. How can people reach you or learn more about uh, Six Connect and what you're what you're working on today? Um, 
easiest thing, well, first of all, Sean, thank you so much for, for having me on here. This was a lot of fun and it was great to kind of take a step back from, you know, day-to-day stuff and, and talk about, talk about these kinds of things. Um, it's always good to remember why you're in the industry and, and people like you are why I'm here. So this is, this is actually a lot of fun for me too. Um, in terms of contact, our website, sixconnect.com is always a great place. And again, my email, uh, Pete at sixconnect.com. Uh, if you have questions, is it, I'm, I'm is it six S I X connect or the number six, the number six. Good question. Uh, six connect.com with the number and it should be good. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're not afraid of talking shop. Um, and again, we're, we try to be a little bit different where we're, we're not always doing the, the full sales pitch. Um, we try to listen and, and make sure we can help first. If we can't help, you know, no harm, no foul. And if we can, hopefully we find a way to do it. Awesome. Well, thank you, brother. Be well, and we'll talk soon. See you later, Sean. Actually, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you go, I have to ask. I'm you, still here. Whoa, you, what, what, what? Do you do you love data centers? I do. Can I get you to just yell as loud as you can? Since you're in your garage and there's really no one else around, could you just yell as loud as you can? I love data centers for me. How about this? I'll give you one better. What if I say it in Spanish? Even that's phenomenal, please. <laughs> all, right, all right, hold on. Hello, Sean. My name is Pete Scofari. Y a mí, me ama a los data centers. Muchas gracias. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, buddy. Have a good one. Peace. Take it easy. Bye. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And before I sign off, I really need you to know that we really do love data centers over here at Open Spectrum. It's not just a, a catchy tagline for a podcast. They are our passion and our livelihood. And I encourage you to learn more about how we serve buyers, service providers, agents, master agents, and investors in the data center hosting network and cloud services space. Uh, you can check out our website at www.openspectruminc.com where you can download a mountain of free content that we produce, such as the numerous regional market reports and excerpts from our book, the Data Center Collocation Industry Playbook, that is now on its fourth edition. And I think at this point, we've sold close to over 1,200 copies of the book. You can also read the show notes and links from this podcast at www.openspectruminc.com forward slash I love data centers. Have a great week and I will see you and hopefully hear from you soon. 